Tonight we are continuing our, our series on 1 Peter. And this is a powerful passage that we're getting to read. It's about who we're called to be together and what we're called to be like and become. So it says this in 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything, in everything, in everything, God may be glorified through Jesus Christ. To him belong the glory and dominion forever and ever. Let's pray. God, I thank you for you tonight. Lord, we thank you that your presence is here that you are Emmanuel, God with us. And it's not just words that we say, it's a reality that we live in. Where can we go, the psalmist prayed, from your presence? Even if I make my bed in hell or I reach to the highest mountains, you're still there. And God, I thank you that tonight, whoever feels far from you, God, you've come to meet them directly tonight that you are a God who is close and who is near. And God, we cannot live this life without you. So God, would you speak like only you can speak? Would you convict us? Would you encourage us? Would you transform us tonight by your word? It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Y'all may be seated. Wow, that was loud. <laughs> I'm already crying. Okay, so tonight... It's um, Teacher Miata. I've never had my iPad out here, so this is going to be very exciting for all of us. Um, if you know anything about me, uh, I love country music. <laughs> all three of us, yes! Um, and one of my favorite artists is Tim McGraw. Uh, Tim, yes, that's right. Tim McGraw had a number one hit um, in 2004 that was called Live Like You're Dying. Can we play a clip of it? Oh, yeah. Man, what you do? And he said, I went skydiving, I went Rocky Mountain climbing, I went 2.7 seconds on a bull called Boo Manchu. Hey! And he said, someday I hope you get the chance to live like you were dying. Wow. Wow. <laughs> Guys, I know all those words by heart. Um, anyways, but it's a brilliant song that highlights this idea that you shouldn't wait until you have a bad diagnosis to live a life of meaning. I think the thing about waiting and suffering and trials is that it becomes abundantly clear to us which things really matter and which things don't. 
How would you live if there were no more tomorrows guaranteed? How should you live? What things would you change, if any? Whether you have one tomorrow left or a hundred tomorrows left, Peter says there are three things we should do to live like we're dying. And it's all laid out in this passage, 1 Peter 4, 7 through 11. He says these three things. And these, if you're taking notes, these are my three points. He says, live lives of dependence, prayer. Live lives marked by love. And live lives for the glory of one serve. So point one, live lives of dependence, prayer. Verse seven says, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. So I know there's a lot of chatter in the church streets about whether or not um, we're, we're in the last days. And yes, we are. We are in the last days. So according to the New Testament, the last days actually refers to the time between the first coming of Jesus and his second coming. So we are living in the last days and even the last quarter of human history. But I think a lot of times, sometimes we major on the minors and we don't major on the major things. We're so busy trying to calculate the, perf- the, the exact time that Christ is coming that we're neglecting to do what he told us to do. This scripture doesn't say that the last days are here. It says that the last days are near. So what is it about this time that would make prayer so essential and urgent? I think it's because when you find yourself in difficulty, in trial, or maybe you're just overwhelmed or pressed and stressed and on every side, I think the first thing that leaks for many of us is going to church. It's going to the word and prayer. Why? Because the reality is that there is always a war for your attention and your affection. And if your attention can be off God, there goes your strength, your perspective, your hope, and your faith. We're in a battle for our faith. The Bible says that we don't battle against flesh and blood, but we battle in the spiritual realm, right? So Peter is saying this, it will take strength not to be ruined, or sucked into temptation. How do you get that strength if not through time spent with God? I think Peter, in this moment of writing this scripture, I think he's recalling to mind when Jesus himself asked Peter to watch and pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. We all remember that story, right? And what did Peter and the other apostles do? Go to sleep. (laughs) Uh, So I think Peter is reminded of that moment. Why is it important to watch and pray? Because we so easily get entangled in temptation. So why didn't he just say, therefore pray? Why did he add in? This is literally like, I feel like I'm in school. (laughs) Why did he add in self-controlled and sober-minded before he said prayer? Self-controlled. I'll define it as being this, not carried along by external or internal impulse, but being carried along by reflecting on the word of God and bringing ourselves in alignment with that. What is sober? It's the opposite of drunk, right? And to be drunk means you can't see things for what they really are. Your senses are impaired. 
So Peter is pleading with them, don't do away with the full use of your mind by draining it away with wasting it on trifling things. Don't have a mind that is carried away with every emotion and every impulse or a mind that is foggy and can't see straight or act straight. Bring your lives into conformity with the reality of heaven, which only comes through prayer. There is, um, I think, Pastor Steve Vigalis? Vagalis? Okay, V. Pastor Steve V talked about the story of Gehazi and how... um, he went on to, you know, get leprosy. But before that, Gehazi was the man who was frightened by what he, his natural eyes could see. We all have situations in our life that is shaking us up, is pressing us, is stressing us, right? But what did Elisha do for Gehazi? He prayed. <laughs> he said, Lord, open his eyes to see what is really happening. Why do we pray? Why is this right at the top of this scripture? I think because there is a reality that's beyond the reality that we're experiencing right now that we need to tap into. If we don't tap into that reality, we will be stressed, pressed, overwhelmed, and struggling because we think that all we see here and there is what all there is. But I love this story because he said, when Gehazi's eyes were opened by God, he could see the angel armies surrounding the armies that were surrounding him. So I want to say to you right now, I don't know what situation you're going through right now, but I pray that God would open your eyes tonight, that you would see that there is a reality happening beyond the reality that you're experiencing right now. And if you would lean in and pray, God would show you something different. Um, There was a survey done by um, church people, and it was a survey of how conservative Christians spend their time in a year. I think this is interesting. It said, um, on hobbies and shopping mall excursions, they spend 90 hours. On sporting activities, they spend 100 hours. On vacations, they spend 120 hours. And on prayer, they spend six hours. And we wonder why the state of the church in America is what it is. We're not even partaking of the product we're selling. Show me how much you pray, and I'll show you how much you rely on God. Peter is not calling us to some heroic lifestyle. He's calling us to a childlike dependence on God. Live lives of dependence. Point two, live lives marked by love. So verse eight and nine speak to this specifically. It says, above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Um, There's a pastor I love. He says, love is the identification mark of the Christian. It's our birthmark. At least that's what Jesus said. They'll know you by the love you have for one another. And in this scripture, another version says, fervently love one another. And fervently literally means strenuous. Um, In ancient times, it describes a horse at full gallop or an athlete who is straining towards the finish line. When you love people, do you give it all you've got? Are you holding anything back? I think if we were to poll 
ask yourself in your heart this question, you have to answer it out loud. Um, I would ask myself two questions tonight. How fervently do I love? And if I were to pull your family, your friends, or your coworkers, would they list love in the top words to describe you? Because love does two things as highlighted in this text. It covers. Love seeks to choose to cover, not to expose, not to traffic in shame and humiliation. It chooses to cover. It chooses to go the distance with someone else, no matter the cost to you. This is what Jesus exemplifies for us and what we're supposed to exemplify. The second thing I see that love um, is highlighted in this passage is about hospitality. And so I called it love acts. Love covers, love acts. How hospitable are you? That's where we get the word hospital from. It's from hospitality. And in the Old Testament, it means loving a stranger. How willing are you to love someone who can do nothing for you? Live lives marked by love. And point three, live lives for the glory of one. Verse 10 and 11. It says this. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Here we go. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, because to him belongs the glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. I think there's five truths about that's listed in here in this verse 10 and 11. It's every believer has a spiritual gift. So if you think that you don't in this room tonight, you do. The second one is that your gift may be different than someone else's, but that's on purpose because we need the varied grace of God that's displayed through your life to make up the body. Three, whatever gift you have, use it to help others. And four, some gifts are noticeable. So it talks about speaking. And some gifts are unnoticeable, serving. But all of them are helpful. And number five, the reason we share our gifts is because one, he gave the gifts to us. Two, he gives us the strength to do it. And it's all for his glory. If you aren't involved in sharing the gift God has given you, God is not getting as much glory as he should you could very well be hindering the glory of God being displayed in and through your life. I want to share this story that I read today that was incredible, and I think it wraps this whole passage up for us. It's by a pastor in New York called Pastor John Tyson. He he teaches at a church called Church of the City. That is fire. He says this, New York City recently had some of the worst flooding. This is long, so... Settle in. All right. (laughs) 
New York City recently had some of the worst flooding in the city's history. It was surreal to see once gridlocked streets waist deep in water. The rain transformed the landscape in an almost unrecognizable way. There were parts of Brooklyn that looked like Venice. This pastor spends a lot of time in a city or a neighborhood called Hell's Kitchen. It has a famous cross street, 42nd Street, which almost cuts the island of Manhattan in half. Um, Ninth Avenue has been in a state of perpetual construction for as long as he can remember, like 18 years. It's always been un under construction. So as the rains were coming down, I looked out the window to see the intersection completely flooded with water. Car cars were at a crawl, pedestrians were getting drenched, and the traffic was a nightmare. Police were trying to direct the traffic, but 42nd and 9th were a havoc. Then I saw something remarkable. A man took off his shoes, rolled up his jeans, and walked into the middle of the intersection, blocking the traffic. He had some sort of rake or broom in his hands, and people started losing their mind. It's New York. Cars were honking, police were yelling, and probably saying other things, and yet, gestured, <laughs> and yet he gestured to them in such a way to say, give me a minute here. Now, I see, he sees a, a, a tons of traffic jams, but nothing like this. I noticed that the water went way past the point at which he had rolled his jeans up, well above his knees. He began to maneuver the stick and work at something below the surface of the water. And then after what appeared to be five minutes, a kind of miracle happened. The water began to recede. Like a giant bath emptying slowly, the water began to seep away. And as it turns out, trash from overflowing bins had clogged the drains in the intersection. So while cars honked, people cursed, and police screamed, this man cleared the trash away in the middle of a storm. I ran down the street to find him and thank him, but he was gone. Traffic was flowing at a much improved pace by then, and the commute of thousands of people were changed by this anonymous, selfless man. It wasn't heroic. He didn't, he's not going to go viral on TikTok. He just waded into the middle of the mess, but on one of the worst days in the city's history, one man's small act of sacrifice and kindness changed what happened in one of the busiest intersections of the world. When I think about who we are to be in the world today, I think about this man. A man who saw a need and met it. A man who, while everyone looked on and yelled and grumbled, rolled up his jeans, took a stick, and moved trash. The truth is, most of the things that will change in our lives are not dramatic. It's not that dramatic. They are just small moments to act when others don't. To wade in at the least convenient point to remember when others forget. This is who we're called to be. This is who we're called to become stewards of grace, using what we have wherever we have it. It wasn't the trash that this man loved, was it? It was the people. He didn't need fanfare or things like that. He used his gift in service of others to bring glory not to himself, but ultimately to God. I think for a lot of us, we don't need a new word. We need to do the words we've been called to do. 
We don't need, even though the worship team is phenomenal, chef's kiss, I will say the whole myself, we don't need a great worship team to do what God has called us to do. We just need to obey what God has said for us to do. We need to get up after we've worshiped and live it and be it. So I want to pray for us tonight. It's not going to be a lot of hoopla, but I encourage us to, to lean into this and ask God to transform us. I know I've been convicted by this word of how um, love does not grumble. Love doesn't want, doesn't ask for hoopla or the attention. Love acts. And we're marked by love because we're connected to love. And that's what praying is about. It's about staying connected to the source of our life, right? So let's pray. Um, I'm going to pray for different groups according to what the scripture says. And I just, I just want God to, to do something in us um, to change us. I want to be a people who carry revival and not just looks at it. Not just wants to dance in it, but wants to carry it out of this room. And bring it to our families and to our cities um, and to our communities and change the world because that's what we're called to do and be. So, Lord, transform us. Not for our benefit, but for the benefit of the world. Lord, would you do a work in us? God, we don't just want to be church people. We want to be disciples. We want to be nicknamed Little Christ because we act and look and sound and do just like you. So, Lord, would you mold us? Would you shape us? Would you transform us? God, we don't want to just be people who talk a good game, but people who live it. God, would you help us to live it? To be the new creation you have called us to be in Jesus Christ. Would you do your work in our church? Would you help us to be a body of believers who don't hide their gift, but gladly serves one another, even at the extent and sacrifice to ourselves, God, that we do it without grumbling, but we count it in honor because you did it first. Would you help us to be the body of Christ engaged in mission, Lord? That we would serve, that we would wrap our arms around the hurting and broken in our community. And in that, testifying to the power of our faith and witnessing to the presence of our living and loving Savior. Help us surrender the church back to you. Help us to lay aside our agendas and our preferences and be fully committed to the calling you've called us to, which is to know you, Jesus and to be known by you. Lord, would you do your work in our world?
give us a vision of transformed lives and neighborhoods and communities and show us, God, give us each a vision of what it looks like to partner with you to see that happen. Holy Spirit, it is our desire. Your word says that those that hunger and thirst for righteousness, you will fill them. So God, would you fill us tonight? Would you grow a hunger and a desire for your word, Lord? And not just that, God, would you give us a hunger and a desire to obey your word? that you would be both Savior and Lord in our lives. That you would help us to become what First Peter is pleading with us to be. To be people who live lives of dependence. To be people who live lives that are marked by your love. To be people who live lives that give glory to you, Jesus. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us tonight. God, I pray for marriages that are strained. Would you let love rule there? Would each one race each other to outdo each other in love and forgiveness and forbearance? and trust Jesus. Make our marriages outposts of heaven that point to you, Jesus. And God, I pray for those of us that are single, Jesus. Would you make us wholly devoted with undivided devotion to you, Jesus? Would you dry up our loves for other things and increase our love for the things of God? That we too in our singleness would be outposts of heaven that point to Jesus. How do you wait? How are you strengthened? How is joy abounding in your heart and life? Lord, let us be a signpost that points to you. God, I thank you for this church. Lord, you love this church. I thank you for what you're doing here, Jesus. God, I pray that you would mark the doorposts of this house with your presence. I pray that people that are broken and confused would come in these doors and feel like they have met you. Would you make us your hands and feet, Jesus? That wraps our arms around them and tells them you are home. You have a home here. There's a seat with your name at the table of God. Pull up a chair. And God, I pray that people would drink deep of your presence here. That they would be healed here. 
that they would be set free here, that they would find family here, that they would be redeemed here, God, that they wouldn't um, hide anymore, Lord, that they could come out of hiding here, that shame would have no place in this place here. And God, that we would lay down our lives for one another and we would be known as those who love, those who rely on God, and those who serve for the glory of one. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. 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 Love you guys.